just over 30 weeks now. The book of Acts is the story of the early church. Was the light freaking out again? You getting light freaking out? All right. Um, the story of the early church as it is called to preach the gospel to the world. And, and we don't want to, you know, last time, last service, even when I got done, there was kind of some questions like, hey man, like maybe be a little more clear about the specifics of what the gospel is. Because I think in the church, what we can do is we can often assume like, hey, yeah, well, you, you, you're a Christian or you're at church. And so you know what the gospel is, right? Like when you hear gospel, like all these accurate representations of what scripture says about that thing are, are evident and are there, but maybe that's not true. And so right at the front end, I, I want to say when we say gospel, okay, we mean that the God of the universe, the one that created you and created me intricately in his image, that that God, okay, humbled himself, came down to this earth, was born in a manger, was born into a situation where impending death was upon his doorstep, right? The God of the universe, born in such squalor, and yet that same God named Jesus lived the life that you and I we're supposed to live. A life before the face of God, treating and loving one another well, treating and loving God as ultimate and supreme. He did that perfectly for his whole life. And then he went to a cross, and he died a death on that cross through crucifixion after beating and scourging and mockery. Again, remember, the creator of the universe. And he endured that because it should have been us upon that cross, Right? And then three days later, after his death, he raises from the dead, defeating Satan, sin, and death. And then through faith in him, imparts new life both here and forevermore. Primarily for his glory and for Christ's love of the Father. And then for our benefit that we would know him and walk with him all the days of our life unto forever. So when we say gospel, this is what we say. So today we're going to talk about this reality that I'm going to say that if we want to be the people that I think we say we want to be, both in the church and out of the church, this isn't just reserved for the Christian, like just for anyone here who has this value and ideal system, right? Like, well, this is who I want to be to other people. If you want to be that and good and nurturing and loving, that the best possible thing you can do is fall deeper in love with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Like, if, if you want to serve and bless your neighbor, husbands, if you want to be a better husband to your wife, and wives, if you want to be a better husband, or wife to, you know what I mean, wife to your husbands, right? Right? Roommates, you want to love both the roommate you like and the one you don't, right? Like, you want to, kid, parents, you want to love your kids. The best possible thing you can do for them is to fall deeper in love with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Like there, there is not a better thing you can read, study, learn, worship. As this grows, all of this by byproduct becomes better, okay? And so the, the call for us today is, do we know what that gospel is? And is it the paramount thing in our lives? Is it the paramount value, goodness, or good in our life? Webster's defines the word paramount as more important than anything else supreme. So I ask you, especially if you're here and you're a Christian, like, is the gospel, is God and the work he has done, is his presence in your life, is it the supreme thing, the supreme good for your soul? And if not, I'm telling you, 
that's where you want to be. Whether you believe me or not this morning, truthfully, that's where you want to be. The deepest longings of your heart for who you want to be, how you want to bless. And we live like in such a crazy and chaotic time and culture. As you look across the landscape, I know many of you, you're so desirous to say, man, I want to love my neighbor, I want to serve, I want to be about justice. I want man, the best thing you can do for anyone else is to fall deeper in love with Jesus and his gospel. Amen? Okay? This is the truth in the long hearts, even if you don't realize it. Now, this might not be like brand new news for many of you. Like, yeah, I've heard this. I've been to church. Like, fall in love with Jesus. I get it. Gospel. I'm talking the most paramount thing in your life that it trumps everything else. Back after the Reformation, this guy Martin Luther, who kind of kicked off the Reformation by pounding these theses onto the front door of the Catholic Church, kind of critiquing some of the issues that the Catholic Church was dealing with back then. And he then goes on to, to pastor this church in Germany. And he's preaching this gospel over and over and over. Literally what I said. So like this God, this God comes down. He created the world perfect. We blew it. And so he had to come and save us for his glory and our joy. Okay? Like that story, he would just come up every Sunday and preach that same gospel message over and over and over again. And eventually his church was like, all right, Luther, man, like we get it. Like, we, you come to us every time you preach us the same message about the gospel over and over. Surely we are ready for something else. And so he responded to him and said, no, you're not. I said, why? And he said, the moment you leave this church, you act like a people who've forgotten the gospel. Because in here, it's one thing to buy into it, Right? Because you got me yelling at you for 40 minutes. We're putting songs up there that constantly point you to it. Everything is crafted to remind us of the story. So in here, it's easy. But man, to go out there and say, no, this still remains the most paramount good of my life is that this is what has been accomplished for me, not because of me, and has drawn me into right relationship with God. Like that good news, the gospel must be paramount for the rest of this stuff to ever get figured out. Now, Last week, if you weren't with us, Anthony preached, honestly, a brilliant sermon. Please go back and listen to it uh, about dying to self, okay? Like, it was really just straightforward. Like, the shape of the Christian life is self-sacrifice and death to self. And what we see in today's text is Paul embracing this self-sacrifice, and the question has to be begged, how can he possibly do this? Like, how is he constantly laying it down for the sake of the other? And it's because of the gospel, right? We're going to say because it was Paul's paramount supreme belief that the gospel was the best thing he had in life. And so he could lay all the rest of it down because the gospel would never change. See what I'm saying? Okay, so that's our hope for us. Um, before I jump into the text, I just want you to know there's going to be some cheesy lines in here. And so I got four main points about how this kind of have. That's awesome. Uh, she's so cheesy. Um, there's going to be some cheesy lines in here. Like I was giving an example, the last point is uh, that a paramount gospel leads, uh, leads us to faithful failures that lead us to secret successes, you know? And it's like, well, that's just kind of something that no one ever says that way, you know? Uh, that you see kind of like your grandma like has somewhere on her desktop, right? And I don't even mean like her computer desktop because it's just that weird. It's like written down and cross-stitched on some piece of paper right there on the like, that's how, like, what? 
And the reason why, and the reason why I bring this up is uh, I kind of have four of those today, these kind of alliterative things. Uh, my best friend uh, that I grew up, I didn't grow up with uh, in college after I got saved, that we used to co-lead a ministry together in San Diego. Uh, she and I have just been really close for a long time. Anyway, she was diagnosed with cancer a couple weeks ago. And so all week, my heart has just been kind of heavy in prayer for her. Uh, and so uh, all these kind of taglines reminded me of her because when we used to lead together, like every series we would do in college was just these like really clever word choices and things like that. So when you hear it, I say that all to just say don't judge me or the church, okay? So verse 17, let's get started in God's word. When we had come to Jerusalem, the brothers received us gladly. On the following day, Paul went in with us to James and all the elders uh, that were present. Now, James is, the, is like the lead pastor of the church in Jerusalem. After greeting them, he related one by one the things that God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And when they heard it, they glorified God and said to him, You see, brother, how many thousands there are among the Jews of those who have believed? They're all zealous for the law, and they have been told about you, that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or walk according to our customs. What then is to be done? They will certainly hear that you have come. Do therefore what we tell you. We have four men who are under a vow. Take these men and purify yourself along with them and pay their expenses so that they may shave their heads. We'll explain that. That's confusing, right? Thus all will know that there is nothing in what they have been told about you but that you yourself live in observance of the law. But as for the Gentiles who have believed, we have sent a letter with our judgment that they should abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual morality. Then Paul took the men and giving, uh, the next day he purified himself along with them and went to the temple, giving notice when the days of purification will be fulfilled and their offering presented for each one of them. So let me just give you kind of a context. And there's, there's like 53 verses today, so we have to move pretty quick. But what's happening here is Paul has finally gotten back to Jerusalem. Now, if you've been tracking through the book of Acts, you're familiar, like this has been the direction of Paul for some time now. Like he's been constrained by the Spirit. Like I'm going to Jerusalem. Like I'm going to make all these stops. God's going to have me preach the gospel here and here and here. But ultimately, I want to get to Jerusalem. Now, Jerusalem should have been a place of respite and a place of rest for Paul. Because this was like the center of the Christian church was in Jerusalem. is the largest church, they had the most impact. It should have been, all right, man, now I'm here. Now I can kind of just rest and take a load off. But the second he walks in the door, he's confronted by the brothers. And, he, and what happens to him is I think oftentimes what happens uh, in relationships when all of a sudden, you know, your husband or wife come to you and they say, babe, you know, I love you so much. And you're amazing, and I just think you're the best. You're so smart, and you're great, but your breast smells, right? And now I say that because that actually happened for me. Wait, not to me, uh, and I'd say it's my wife, but rather in a marital counseling thing, a guy said this to his wife, okay? And so, but it was this whole idea of like, babe, you're amazing. Yeah, but your breath is terrible, right? And I remember sitting there thinking like, are you did you just say that? Like, bro, like, you're, that's it. You're not married anymore. Like, you, like, she just divorced you that second. Uh, they've been married for eight years, four, like three or four years a day. It's like 11 years into their marriage, and he's like, hey, I think you're the best thing ever, but your breath's terrible, right? And so, like, here, this at a much larger and significant level is that type of thing. 
Like he comes home to the people that are supposed to be like encouraging and supportive. And Paul, like you're doing such a great job. And that's what happens. They come and say, man, Paul, you're crushing it, man. Like, do you see all the Jews that have converted to Jesus? They love you. They're zealous. It's amazing. But you're doing it all wrong. Like everything you're doing, it's like, hey, listen, all the Jews are saying this. You notice like the language that they use, like all the Jews believe this now. Is what we find out is actually these accusations just aren't even accurate. They're just not even true. Because if you go back and you look at the teachings of Paul throughout all of his letters throughout the book of Acts, that he's constantly teaching that what's happening with the law, the Old Testament law, which is what's so important to the Jew, right? That the law had been fulfilled in Jesus, and so they need not be restrained by it any longer. Restricted to serving the law instead of serving God. You know, what's happening is people are interpreting that as saying Paul is, you know, against the law and he's these things. So it's these false accusations. And here's what Paul does. And I know my own proclivity, and I think it might be true for most, excuse me, most of us, is that I know that when people come to attack me and they say false, especially when they say false things about me, but even when they say true things about me, my back kind of raises up, Right? And yours, I'm guessing, does also. You want to so badly fight and contend for yourself, right? If someone says, oh, well, I heard you said this. You're like, no, I didn't. I didn't say that. That wasn't me. That was somebody else. You said that. You're the problem, right? Like, we're so quick to defend and fight and contend for us. And I think it's because, I think when we trace it back, is that we do not have a firm understanding of the gospel. Because a paramount gospel leads towards a secure soul. And here's what I mean, that if you truly believed what the gospel says about you, you would care nothing about what the person in front of you thinks, right? Like if, if listen, because here's what the gospel says. The gospel says that you and I are, if, if we love Jesus, are 100% completely and fully justified in Jesus, right? That you don't need to prove yourself. You can't work harder to get more justification, right? That you don't need to strive and run this rat race to tell everyone, no, I'm actually not that bad. So when someone comes at you with true or false accusation, you don't need to freak out, get anxious, and then retort back. You just say, you know what, man, fine. Think what you want. I care more of the other things. But is that the way that we respond? Often not. See, see, a paramount view of the gospel that leads towards a secure soul that leads Paul to respond the way he responds, which is to say, all right, man, listen, what you're saying is just wrong. And he just says that in his own heart. He doesn't say it out loud. But I'll do what you ask. And so Paul, in the middle of a Nazarite vow, growing his hair out, there's no Old Testament thing, growing his hair out, goes with four other guys who are also doing that same vow, per the law, goes to the temple and goes through this purification ritual to show all the Jews that are watching, oh man, no, it's cool. I'm still, I'm still okay with the law, right? Now Paul in this, knowing full well, this is not like the drive and desire of his heart. The desire of his heart is the gospel and to preach the gospel to as many people as possible. So he lays down his own need for justification from people because he has the justification from God, okay? This is a powerful thing for you as you go out and you leave this place, as you think through the way you want to fight with your spouses, when you're like, oh, well, your wife's saying something to you and you feel like you need to retort and say, no, I didn't say that. She's like, you did say that. You're like, no, I didn't say that. You know, you did. And you just do that for an hour. Next thing you know, you've fought for three hours about the fight instead of fighting about the content in the beginning. And yet we do this over and over. And it's not just in marriage relationships. It's with our children. It's with our roommates, with our friends. We're constantly just kind of contending 
And the gospel calls us out of that foolishness. Okay, so let's keep going in verse 27. When the seven days were almost completed, the Jews from Asia, seeing him in the temple, stirred up the whole crowd and laid hands on him, crying out, Men of Israel, help! This is the man who is teaching everyone everywhere against the people and the law in this place. Moreover, he even brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. For they had previously seen Trophimus the Ephesian with him in the city, and they supposed that Paul had brought him into the temple. Then all the city was stirred up, and the people ran together. They seized Paul and dragged him out of the temple, and at once the gates were shut. And as they were seeking to kill him, word came to the tribune of the cohort that all Jerusalem was in confusion. He at once took soldiers and centurions and ran down to them. And when they saw the tribune and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. Then the tribune came up and arrested him and ordered him to be bound with two chains. Okay? So, it doesn't work, right? Like their desire, or Paul's desire to do things their right way, to not fight for himself, but just to say, all right, man, I'll, I'll do whatever is necessary that I can continue to preach the gospel. It, it doesn't work. People are not convinced by this way. And so they just say, you know what? You're still that guy. So they continue to attack him and say, no, no, I mean, like you're still against us. And so what do we do to navigate that? And so his response uh, is, is going to be very similar when we finally get to what his defense will be. This laying down of self, right? Now, the reality of this life is that so many times you will choose to do the right thing and it will still blow up in your face, okay? I mean, like, you'll, you'll, make, you'll make every right decision, you'll love someone, and then they'll still trample on you, right? Like, that, that's just part of it. That doesn't mean you stop loving people because you've had a bad experience, right? We are still called for that because the gospel calls us to this. Sometimes people will just reject your goodness because they're just being foolish. The world is just filled with that, and we do it to other people all the time. Kids are the primary and perfect example of how this happens on the daily. My son, Finley, is three. Now, this happened like a year ago when he was like two. We're laying in bed. I have a wood bat next to my bed, right? We don't have a gun, so I'm just going to clunk some dude real hard, okay? Uh, and so I got this wood bat, barely hear stuff a lot, so I'm like creeping through the house with this bat, you know? I'm just going to get shot one day. And, uh, and he's like, a bat, really? And so Finley, my son, comes in the room, grabs the bat, and he comes in in the morning. I'm sleeping, and I wake up, and there's a bat just over my face, right, like this. And I'm, I go, hey, man. And he's like, he goes, hit daddy, I said, mm, no, <laughs> I'm not going to hit daddy, okay? And, and I remember we were just finished reading Grace-Based Parenting. It was a great book, you know, and we just read some other books, and so I was like, okay, there's a way I'm supposed to handle this. Like, don't just grab the bat. You know what I mean? Don't let him know, like, hey, we're going to make better decisions. We're going to talk. We're going to converse. And so I start doing that. I'm like, hey, man, listen, daddy's face doesn't like getting hit with a bat. You know, I'm like, and, and you love daddy, and we're just doing all this stuff, and I love you, and so let's make a better decision. And then he go, yeah, look, I'm like, do you understand? Bam, wax me in the face, right? <laughs> you know, boom, right? And so I'm like, you know, fuming at this point. And these type of things happen every single day. We're like, no, I mean, I did everything I was supposed to do, and you still hit me in the face with my bat, right? Still a little angry about it. We didn't dedicate that kid. That's what happened. Um, and, <laughs> and so anyway, like this, this, this situation, this part of life, listen, I, we are called, hear me, if you're a Christian, you are called to a radical reality. And it's to lay your life down with a full understanding and embrace of the gospel 
regardless of what happens on the other side. Gosh, that, that stinks sometimes. Like, that, that just hurts sometimes. Like, we get, like, in, in every relationship, when we look across the landscape of our culture right now, what does it look like for us as the church, as, as Christians, to lay it down, fully believing in the supremacy of the gospel as being the most paramount, best thing we got going? How do we utilize that reality to move us to a death to self, even when it blows up in our face over and over again? And that is the narrative of the Bible, friends. It wasn't just that Jesus didn't just do this like one time. He didn't just live that perfect life while people beat him and hit him and mocked him and killed him. The entire narrative of Scripture is God coming with goodness, coming with love, creating us in his image, and the first chance we get, we disobey the one thing he said not to do, okay? And then as we go on throughout the Bible, it's a constant cycle of God's love, our ah, no thanks, and our rebellion, and him being like, all right, let's start over again. Over and over and over, the relentless pursuit of the love of God is what brings us today where we have a fighting chance to actually know him, where the gospel can be supreme for us and is the only way towards us living and loving the way the church is called to in the scriptures. It's the only possible way for us to do that. Okay, so let's continue to move in uh, through the text. Uh, oh, sorry, I, I met, left this point out and I apologize, but um, you see what's happening here in this text uh, it's very similar to Acts chapter 19. If, if you guys were with us when we, when we preached that, but that was a Gentile city in Acts 19 in Ephesus. And this is a Jewish city in Jerusalem here. And the narratives are eerily similar to one another, right? Both of these narratives have the cultural idols of the day are being rooted out by the presence of the gospel teaching through Paul and through the people around him. And as people get confronted in their idols, they rebel, they get upset, and they get hurt. Because the reality is when a gospel is paramount amongst the people in your hearts, in the church, as it goes forth, the culture is consecrated, right? The culture is called to be underneath the lordship of Jesus. And if it's called underneath the lordship of Jesus, that means it cannot be called underneath the lordship of anything else. And when it is, it gets offended and it pushes back. And so what you see is happening to Paul is the same thing that happened in this Gentile city as it's happening in the Jewish city, which I think is a helpful understanding for us today and the culture that we live in to say, listen, it's not no one group or another group or someone in between is any more sinful or broken or ruined than anyone else. We're just all on that same level. Like we're all just a giant kind of big mess where we need grace and hope and love. And that is what he has brought in the gospel. But constantly we'll look at these stories and we'll say, man, is this, is this, man, let that go, church. Humanity needs Jesus. Okay? Humanity needs the gospel. So as culture is consecrated, they, they push back. So um, moving on to verse 34 through 40, let me just paraphrase, it won't be I don't know if it's going to be up on the screen or not, but um, just for time's sake. In, ver- in verses 34 through 40, Paul, who gets arrested, is getting ready uh, to you know, be tortured and imprisoned and beaten and all that stuff. But then he appeals, using his Roman citizenship, to the tribune and says, listen, man, like, I'm a Roman citizen. Like, let me speak to the people. And being a Roman citizen had a ton of clout, okay? He says, let me speak to the people and address the people. So finally, finally, hear me. 
finally Paul is going to defend himself. Like the thing that I know I would be longing for this whole time, that people lobbying false accusation, I would just long to defend me. And so finally he gets that opportunity before all the people who are condemning him, and we get to hear what he says. And I'm, not gonna, I'm just going to paraphrase it, because what he essentially does is he just tells the gospel. Like he doesn't say, oh, I didn't say that. He doesn't say, well, I didn't do that. He doesn't say, actually, when I was in Ephesus, this is what I did. He doesn't try and justify. He just talks about the work of God. And I love that about Paul. And so he gets up and he says, listen, you, you're coming at me, but let me talk to you about Jesus. Because I, I used to be like the chief persecutor of the church. Like, if you don't know the story of Paul, like, if you go back in his narrative, this guy was like the Jew of Jews, a Roman citizen, a man of power, a man of, of education and wealth and status. And he persecuted, as the Christian church rose up, he tried to snuff it out by going door to door to door, taking people from their homes, bringing them to prison where oftentimes they'd find death. The first martyr we find in scripture is this man, Stephen, and Paul is standing right there presiding over the death of this young man. This is the guy, and yet then on a road to Damascus, and he's sharing all of this with the people who've just accused him of disobeying and not loving the law. Again, he doesn't justify himself. He justifies the gospel in Jesus, and he says, here's what happened. I went on Damascus Road because I had papers to go find more Christians to imprison and to kill, and guess what happened? This great light shone upon me, and in a moment I was floored and blinded, and I heard a voice come from heaven and say, Saul, that was his name, that Saul, why are you persecuting me? He says, well, who are you, Lord? He says, I am Jesus, the one with whom you were persecuting. In that moment, this realization comes upon Paul that all the, the strivings and the things that he thought was leading him towards success and all the strivings of his life, these things paled in comparison to the reality that Jesus was the Savior of the world, the Messiah that had been waiting for, the paramount reason for his existence, the biggest and most important hope of his life. And so he is told by God to go to a nearby city talk to this guy Ananias who will pray over him and he'll receive his sight and then he is built up and trained there for two years and goes on to become the greatest evangelist the world has ever known. Okay, so, so in this moment of like, okay, and finally defend myself, he just wants to tell people about Jesus. He's not trying to get out of prison. He's not trying to justify himself. He's not trying to look good. He's saying, man, this is the truth. And a paramount view of the gospel in your life it leads to a secure soul, okay? It leads to a culture that is consecrated underneath the lordship of Jesus, okay? And, it, and it's all done through a wondrous witness, okay? That, that God has so done an amazing work in your life. Now, I don't know all of you. I don't know if everyone in here would even, you would even consider yourself a Christian. Some of you guys are probably just busy and you came with friends, and that's awesome. Thank you so much for being here and for visiting and asking questions, whatever the deal is. And I was in your shoes. I got saved in college, so if you're here and you're a college student, you're just checking, it's amazing, okay? But if you're in a Christian, right, like the work of God in your life, it is the front foot that you present to the world, okay? And it will always be that as long as the gospel is most paramount important, supreme thing in your life. 
The rest of the stuff, man, I tell you, it just, it gets worked out if that part is true. Okay. Um, the last little verses here, verses 22 through 29 as we wrap up. Um, Paul, it, it doesn't work again, okay? Like the reality is, it just doesn't work again. He does everything right. He gets stepped on. He gets beaten, and he's about to be tortured. And then once again, he appeals to his Roman citizenship and says, like, you can't do this because if you're a Roman citizen, you couldn't be tortured. You couldn't be, anything like that couldn't happen unless you had a fair trial. And so where we leave this narrative is Paul uh, kind of in limbo, okay? And we don't really know what's going to happen, and we'll pick that back up next week. But it leads us to our last and final point. That listen, a paramount gospel, a gospel that is the most important thing in your life, okay? And it leads to that cheesy line I said before, to faithful failure that leads to secret success. And here's what I mean by that. It's like the life that we just talked about trying to live, a life where like if we're here and a Christian, like that the gospel, what God has done, Jesus, the person and work of Jesus in your life is the most important thing. That's not like an easy life. It's not an easy thing to always believe. Like I said, it's easy to believe in here for a little while. It's harder once you get out of here. Because the reality is once you leave, there are competing stories for your attention. Like once you get out this, and we talk about this often, you're going to see billboards, you're going to watch commercials. I mean, like there is this family friend of ours, and uh, oh, he's an author, a family friend I use loosely, but this guy we know pretty well. And uh, this is what he teaches his kids whenever they're very little, whenever they would watch television. Okay, a commercial would come on, right? And the only way that these little kids, and you might think this is legalistic, I think it's kind of brilliant, uh, is the only way these kids could watch commercials is if after every commercial, they would stand up, point at the television, and say, you're not fooling us, like that, right? And so in unison, man, it was so cute to see. They'd all pop out, they're like, you're not fooling us, you know? Because the reality of everything you see on that television, it's saying, all right, here's the deal, man. Like, you want fulfillment, you want life, Here's the product that'll get you there, okay? Like, then they craft that story for you. And it's a different story from what the Bible gives you. So if you're here and you're a Christian, know that once you leave here, all of these other narratives will compete for your time and your affection. And I know deeply the hearts of many of you, that you want to love and to serve, that you want to, be, you want to do justice, you want to care for people, you want to be the best people you can be. And I guarantee you, that if you try and do that without allowing the gospel to be the most paramount, supreme thing and hope in your life, it's not going to last. Because the gospel is the only truth that will never change, will always be there, because God will never change and will always be there. The rest of this stuff, listen, it's all, it is just fleeting. Every product that you're going to buy, everything you think will fulfill, it will not, because it eventually will just go away. And so this last, this last reality is that even in these faithful failures where we just try our best and we fail and we get back up again, God, because he's sovereign, will make it into success. The entire Bible is not just chock full of a story of us rebelling against God and him having to come back after us and showing us his love again and mercy and hope and peace. And it, it's also this story of God using these terrible decisions that people have made for his glory. I mean, absolutely egregious stuff. Like Jesus comes, and we share this report, Jesus comes out of the lineage of an adulterous, murderous affair. Isn't that crazy? That, that this great king, King David, okay, looked upon a woman, slept with her. She was married to this guy, so he had that guy killed, okay? All to kind of cover up his sin. And out of that, out of that 
adulterous affair comes Solomon, and out of Solomon comes the lineage of Jesus. Like crazy. So the good news for us as we go today is I'm calling us, listen, church, like I'm calling us for a desire for the gospel to be the most important thing in your life, okay? But no, man, you'll blow it probably in an hour. It's all right. God is sovereign and he's good. Try again. He loves you. And he's doing this for his glory and he is big on his glory, so he'll do it well. That's my desire for you. It's my desire for me. The reality is, man, I am like reinvigorated this like last week or two about this reality, mostly because Verity called me out in some of my junk two weeks ago. <laughs> and, and, it, and it floored me, right? Like when you just get hit with the truth of like, man, you're just not nearly as good as you think. <laughs> that stuff hurts. What is the best possible thing for us? because then hopefully it moves us into dependence upon Jesus. Amen? That's my hope for us, because that's my hope for the city of Flagstaff. And this city will not, cannot, and won't be transformed outside the grace of God in our lives, through his church, into the city. Amen? Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you because um, everything, God, that, that is true about the gospel, everything that's true about the goodness that we have received and who you are, the fact that you are ever-present in our life, just the whole deal, God, is just, it's just chocked full of just nothing that we've done to earn any of it. And so, God, I want to I wanna love my wife well. I want to serve and bless my kids we prayed for the parents this morning, God, I know these parents want to bless and love their kids. God, I, I, I know so many people in this room that they, they just, they want to care for people. They want to experience, God, joy and, uh, and fulfillment and purpose. They want to serve other people. They want to bless their neighbor. They want to do, do justice in our world of brokenness. So God, May, may myself, may none of us, God, be as foolish to think that if we just find the next self-help book or if we uh, try harder, if we grit our teeth, God, that any of that would really figure this out. God, we pray that the gospel would just become more true, more real, and more important to us than it's ever been before. And God, where we have no idea how to even take those steps, Lord, we pray you would provide not just your presence, but the presence of others to move us and to shape us in that same way. God, we love you. We thank you. And we pray that you would and just meet us in this place, God, and that you would be glorified in everything that we do as we respond to your gospel, as we and just have the opportunity to go and present this good news to the rest of the world. Jesus, you are amazing. Thank you for saving us. In Jesus' name, amen.